We're taking a short break this week. We'll have fresh interviews with Australia's technology leaders soon. Hello and welcome to this week's CXO Challenge interview on the IT News Podcast. A slightly different show this week, where we tread the heavily covered ground of cybersecurity, but we do so from the perspective of the board. I'm joined this week by Roger Sharp, who is the chairman of several large listed Australian enterprises in the finance and travel sector. Roger is also the founder of Northridge Partners, a specialist investment firm operating in the Asia-Pacific, which has a strong technology focus. And it's this expertise and understanding in the business of technology that makes Roger Sharp somewhat unique among Australia's listed company directors and chairs. Roger, thanks for joining us today. And I wanted to start by revisiting a conversation you and I had several years ago about the technological maturity of Australian boards. Uh, Back then, you told me about some research that uh, you had done around the tech qualifications of ASX directors at the time. This was maybe four years ago. Uh, The results were not flattering. Uh, Do you think tech literacy of directors has changed much in that time? And if it has improved, has it improved fast enough to keep pace? Well, hi, Andrew. That's a pretty good question. You know, four years ago is a lifetime in this business, isn't it? Um, Yes, I think things have evolved quite materially, but there is a huge shortage of professionals in Australia and New Zealand, in fact, globally, who have a fusion of governance experience and technology. doesn't mean that you should be able to write code, but you need to understand what the issues are. So, So net, net, there remains a shortage, but... Boards have now been focusing on this for, for you know, five, 10 years, and certainly there's more technology representation on major boards these days than there was. So I guess over the last 18 months, we've seen a pretty rapid acceleration in digitalization, which has kind of increased, uh, increased the, the pressure, I guess. Do you think the, the expertise levels are keeping up with the pace of change? Oh, it's very hard to keep up with the pace of change. You know, if you're in a large corporate that's, say, listed on ASX, you've got uh, a range of demands on your time and on your um, intellectual resource capacity. You've got um, ESG and CSR. You've got the Modern Slavery Act. You've got uh, analysts. You've got uh, proxy advisors. You've got class actions, um, you know, all of which take brain space. And so it's a very cluttered environment. Um, and so if I pause there, that's the environment for a listed company. But if you're literally the two people in the garage who set up something you know, very fast moving, very technological, very savvy, you can outpace the listed company I just talked about, three to one, five to one, 10 to one, 50 to one, depending on how smart you are. So you know, I'm on boards that look at these young companies that don't have uh, the pressures of the governance pressures that we have, the analysts, the shareholders, the proxy advisors, the Modern Slavery Act, et cetera, all of which have their place. I'm not uh, being critical of the modern governance environment, but it is very hard to move at light speed when you have those distractions. To what extent, though, uh, are boards aware of the alternative to that, which is the advantages that incumbency brings? Because you've got scale, you've got distribution. And how do you kind of balance those those things out? Well, I think that's been proven in the banking scene, hasn't it, where the neobanks in Australia, for example, haven't really, by and large, done that well. So there are definite advantages in incumbency. What we wanted to look at today specifically was the issue of, of cybersecurity, which has really sort of risen towards the top of a lot of corporate risk registries over the last couple of years. 
we really noticed a change, particularly around 2017, 2018, with the exposure of things like the Cambridge Analytica scandal, et cetera, brought to the industry. Now, it strikes me that most people who make it onto boards don't get there because of their technological expertise, and it's unrealistic to expect uh, most directors to have a deep practice knowledge around cybersecurity. And yet it's still an issue that they need to interrogate as part of their, as part of their role. How well do you think directors from non-technical backgrounds understand the evolving cyber risk environment? It's clear to any director these days that it is the risk that should keep you awake at night, or certainly a risk that should keep you awake at night. Um, if you sit on more than one board, um, you you know pattern recognition uh, is such that if you see it on one board, you'll be aware of it. Take it to another board, and if you're working with other directors, uh, if your fellow directors are on other boards, they will see it elsewhere. So you know every board I'm on talks about it, and you don't have to be a cyber security expert. You just need to know what you need to do, and you need to be able to rely on your management team to be absolutely on top of the methodology, the issues, et cetera. So you're a director or a chair, actually, of a number of companies in different industries. Is the way that boards interrogate the cyber risk issue, does it differ significantly from um, industry to industry or company to company? So is it specific to the nature of the company or are there sort of general principles that you have to sort of be aware of across the board? Um, Well, obviously, the risk associated with every business is different. If you're a large B2C companies, you're a large consumer bank, you know, the, the risk profile is quite different from being a freezing works or a beer manufacturer, but it's not to say that beer manufacturers don't get hit. Um, everybody can be hit and, and you know, you don't need to be a, a large consumer-facing brand. Um, you just need to have a vulnerability in your system somewhere and a bad actor needs to sense that it can take advantage of it and, and hold you to ransom. So when directors, and especially those who don't have a tech background, are interrogating the issue of cybersecurity, where should they focus their questions? And what steps can they take to better understand the answers they're given to ensure those answers are accurate and true? Well, having lived through this on a number of boards, I would say it's all about the approach you take. Now, if you're considering this once a month for a nanosecond, you got it wrong. But if you have risk processes and a risk committee or an audit and risk committee set up that actually spends time on this, you'll quickly understand that there, it is a, a many-headed beast. And the issues are not just... Um, it's not just a bad actor from you know somewhere in Eastern Europe or in Asia having a crack at you. It, it starts with your physical premises. I mean, what happens if an employee picks up a flash drive in the car park with your company's logo on it and plugs it into a PC. I need to find out it's, it's a phishing expedition, as it were. Uh, what if somebody walks into your premises pretending to be an advertising agency partner, sits down at a PC and starts hacking? So you've got physical security issues, and then you've got PCR compliance issues. You've got... Um, Procedures. I mean, the, the checklist of things is so big and so long. What you actually need is an holistic approach to assessing where your risks are and a framework to manage them. And, you know, some companies like checklists. Uh, others like to avoid checklists because what's not on the check, checklist doesn't necessarily get checked. But you better darn well have some procedures 
and some checks and balances in place to make sure that you are monitoring carefully. Are your people signing off that security patches have been installed? Uh, has someone, you know, tried a um, has someone tried to create an event for you? Have you had consultants in who specialise in this stuff? Uh, you really need to be on top of it all. And then, do you have an escalation procedure? Do you actually have uh, an internal rule book that says if there's an incursion, this is what happens next? Do you have insurance? And, and by the way, did you know that if you do have cyber insurance, your insurer will want to take control when there is um, an incursion and they will actually want to appoint the PR agency that deals with communications. They will want to appoint the company that comes in and tries to manage the incursion. So it, it is hugely complex. And as a board member, you need to, the first thing you need to do is make sure there is a framework for handling all of this stuff. The other thing that strikes me this year in particular, we've seen a lot of sort of high-profile ransomware cases, for instance, around the world. Um, and one of the changes seems to have been that there's a shift now in terms of attacks onto infrastructure-style companies as opposed to administrative or financial systems. Is one of the things that you need to consider the extent to which you're exposed to other companies in the ecosystem? And how do you manage that sort of issue where you don't have control over their systems? Yeah, I mean, it, it's the nature of the world to have different systems integrated into your own, isn't it? Whether it's payment gateways or, you know, APIs or plugins or different integrations. So, um, yeah, like I say, it's complex. So one of the issues I've sort of been interrogating over the last uh, couple of weeks is the nature of uh, the relationship between, say, a chief information officer and a chief information security officer. And there's a debate about where those folks should uh, report. In fact, if you look at the background, the thing that's been interesting to me is that um, quite a few of the people that I've interviewed have come from a non-tech background, the, the CISOs. Do you have any particularly firm views about whether information security should report up through, say, a CIO, the head of the tech group, or whether it should actually have a, an independent reporting sort of structure? I'm hesitating because it's... Uh... Again, it depends on the organisation that you're talking about. Everybody's got different personalities, different needs. Um, I'd argue that the person in charge has a, a reporting line. Uh, just like company secretaries do, they have a reporting line to the chair of the business. There should be some sort of report to the risk committee or the chair of the risk committee. Um, one thing you don't want on cyber is some form of filter in place where you... Uh, things are selectively escalated to you. Like if, if there's an issue, it needs to be escalated. There needs to be a direct line. So I, I would tend to look at this from a more of a board, from a board perspective, Andrew. The other question I wanted to address was the cost of breach. Often when there's a major breach, people will sort of focus on the share price and there'll be an impact. And that will actually bounce back quite often over the next sort of, over the coming weeks. But from your perspective and from the perspective of boards, what are the risks, the, the risk beyond the, the immediate impact on the share price that you have to consider? Uh, there's the trust, the trust factor. I mean, you can be an incredibly well-run business with a great brand that takes all the necessary steps and still uh, run into trouble here. These are incredibly sophisticated criminals running uh, very lucrative businesses that you know maybe you can beat, maybe you can't. But I think your reputation is 
everything because if you're a consumer-facing business, it's, you know, the difference between having a business and not is how much you're trusted. And I think, uh, you know, one of the important things is to recognise the risks and be transparent with your consumers. You know, companies that have data stolen that don't disclose it or haven't disclosed it for a long period of time would want to think about that quite carefully. It's a really interesting piece of research I read, and it might be two years old now. And I think from memory, it was the Warwick Business School out of the UK. And they actually looked at this issue of um, what's the actual impact on the business, the, the finances of the business. And one of the interesting findings uh, from that research was that it's ultimately the shareholders who take a hit. And what they found, these were big breaches of you know, billion-dollar companies, et cetera. What they found was that um, growth actually slowed and dividends were lowered. And the, the reason they gave for that, I think, basically, was that the, the money was diverted. So basically, money that might otherwise have been put into growth or CX or, or other areas was suddenly put into risk mitigation. So I think one of the things that, that is less well understood is that there are quite substantive um, longer, longer-term risks to the business in terms of a breach. Well, and um, quite significant focus issues because when, when this happens, you can guarantee that your top team is not running the business. They're trying to save the business. And every day or week or month you spend trying to save the business is a month you're not competing. Often the focus of board level is around compliance and governance. But what's the, uh, the impact of the ability of the business to innovate at speed and scale if its cybersecurity is, is not up to breach? Sorry, do the question again. Um, what are the, <clears throat> often the focus at board level is, a, is around compliance and around governance. But is there an impact on the ability of businesses to innovate at speed and at scale if security is not up to scratch? Well, I think you can innovate at speed and at scale until you get hit, which you probably will, in which case you're going to grind to a halt very quickly. So I, I would argue that if I've understood your question correctly, any business uh, growing super quickly without any form of cybersecurity is just an accident waiting to happen. I was more than more of the intent of the question was, is it easier to grow faster if you put really clear guardrails in place for organisations, and those guardrails include very clear guidance and rules around cybersecurity. So you're, you're effectively creating freedom within boundaries to innovate. Oh, I think so. Absolutely. You're right. All right. Me being right is a great place to end the, uh, the discussion. <laughs> Roger, thanks very much for your time today. Thanks, Andrew. That was Roger Sharp, the founder of Northridge Partners. And that's the podcast for this week. We're back with an exciting new interview next week. Until then, you can catch all the latest headlines in the Australian IT industry over at itnews.com.au.